With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You know, we put, we put, uh, placed some high goals on a team when we uh, broke camp in San Diego, returned to the playoffs, home court with a division, we were able to check all those boxes. You're listening to The Dig. What is up, Nuggets fans? You're listening to The Dig. This is Nick. I'm with Jeremy. Uh, We are no longer in person. We were just a couple of weeks ago on the East Coast, uh, which is why we've been a little bit behind on getting our kind of season recap episodes up. So apologize for that. Um, How are you doing today, Jeremy? I'm doing all right. That was that was a good opportunity for us to to maybe have like a more fun, maybe impromptu episode. But we were so busy with stuff. It was also a good opportunity for you to make good on your bet. What happened with that, man? Yeah. Did I actually did I? <laughs> I don't even remember. <laughs> no, you owe me pizza and a beer. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? I do. Dang it. And actually after you uh took off, so we went we went to uh to Brooklyn, my wife and uh and Jeremy and his wife. We ended up getting uh pizza at this awesome just like like the exact kind of like Brooklyn style New York pizza place you'd imagine get, getting there open to like four in the morning and have like you know, twenty inch pizzas, thin crust thing. We went there twice after you guys took off. <laughs> Roberta's. So we could have uh hooked you up. No, it was another it was like this dive. Oh, okay. it was super good. It was just called Joe's. Yeah, just, no, it wasn't Joe's. It was uh, Tony. I don't know. Something like that. Tony. Jake's. You found Joe's, a pizza John's. place in New York City called Tony's? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the theme. So we have a lot to catch up on and we're realize we, we're coming into, into this a little late. Um, things you know we've everyone's sort of moved past the uh the portland series at this point um and we're on to watching the warriors implode in front of our eyes which has been very enjoyable but we want to we want to do a kind of a two-part sort of big picture episode where we recap some of of uh, of the season just some of the highlights uh we call to account some of our own predictions and how well we did uh with our analysis through the course of the season and also to uh, look at the off season. So we're going to split this into two episodes. We'll be releasing the second part of of this sort of big picture series that we're doing uh, in a couple of days. But we want to we want to look to at the free agent class, uh, what the Nuggets might be doing moving forward. Uh, Tim Connolly's come out and said a, a couple of things about their their strategy uh, for the off season that are interesting. Um, it looks like the Nuggets will be actively looking to make improvements to the roster if possible, but doing so in a smart way. So we want to get into what some of those improvements might look like, uh, how they might go about um, building for uh, next season and building off of what was uh, really by any measure, I think, a successful 2018-2019 uh, campaign. I still think this should be a three-part series, 
third part being nothing but an album review of Will Barton's latest genius work to hit the streets. Okay, I'm down. All right. If it like if what what the best thing that could happen is for Will Barton to get big in the music industry and is like, nah, I'm just gonna <laughs> quit basketball. Yeah, turn his back on the uh fifty-five, fifty-four million dollar contract that we gave him. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's like, no, this is like where where my heart really is, and I'm like a passionate guy. I'm following my dreams. I don't care about the money. <laughs> yeah. Um I would take I don't think it. it's gonna happen. I would take it. Yeah. If if you gave me the choice for Will Barton to just walk away from this team with his contract gone with him, I I would take that. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, is there anybody that doesn't want that to happen at this point? Well, he's anyway, a great leader. Well, I don't know if you've been yeah, reading, right. if you've uh, been reading up on uh, a lot of Denver local media, but. He's a great leader. Of course he oh, is. Oh, boy. And a huge locker room presence. All right. So let's just start by uh, just talking about the playoffs in general. We haven't uh, – you and I really had a chance on the podcast to discuss anything since the Portland series. Um, and a lot's gone down in the in the playoffs. Um, what are your overall thoughts about how things have shaken out? We're, we're sitting here right now with – uh, Toronto up three one against the Warriors. Um, is this a surprising outcome, or, or or should we have seen this coming with the amount of injuries they they've sustained? Uh, what do you, what are you thinking at this point in the in the run this year? It, it, it's it is surprising to me. That's a hard thing. That's almost two different questions. Um, generally, like from a, a thousand foot view, it's surprising. Um, this is a Warriors team that very much is supposed to be in the midst of a dynasty. Um, but then on the micro level, when you factor in the uh, all the injuries that they've had, um, I don't know if I've given that serious thought. Because um, it just, it feels like no matter how many layers you peel back on this team, there's they're just always going to be the best. But that's definitely like a, a imagined version of the Warriors. They're still in the end human beings, you know, um, made of skin and bone and and only able to be as fast as a human can be fast and as skilled as a human can be skilled and things like that. So there is a limit to it. Um, I, I'd say I'm still surprised, though. What about you? Yeah, I think they they just look done. I, that game last night, they were clearly exhausted. They just look – they look like a team at the end of a long run, of a five-year run – that is just spent and they're playing against a team that's playing incredibly well together. They're playing great team defense. They're giving them all they can handle. They have a superstar playing at the top of his game in Kawhi Leonard, and they have a city that is absolutely bonkers for this team that's behind them right now. And it, I, I think it's just that with combined with all of these injuries that they've sustained and this long run, they just look done. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I don't see the series going past five. And I don't, I don't buy. I don't buy the. They're done at this point. I I don't buy that. Um, oh no no! I don't. I don't necessarily mean forever. I just mean they're done this year. Like they just seem right. done I, right I, now. And I, like I don't buy. Well, I'll be more specific. Oh, you're not I don't, buying that. I don't buy that their mentality right now is that they have nothing left. I don't think that that they're sitting back 
being like, uh, what are we going to do? We've got nothing. And that they're going into game five with their heads down. I, I think there definitely are a lot of teams, um, to be more specific, a lot of players uh, that would carry something like that through after a loss. But not uh, to me, not this team. That Not what I've seen. Certainly in the past, um, they've been in some tight situations before. Uh, to me, this is a team that's even during the regular season, you know, when weird things have happened, you take in the last season, they weren't even first place. Um, you know, they've showed the ability to to always be able to come back and to bring it together. And so I expect them to come to game five guns blazing, just like they came to game four guns blazing. It, it fizzled out, but I don't think they walk into quarter one first minute tip off like, ugh. I'm just not. My heart's not in it, or my head's not in it tonight. I think. I think they. Yeah. They roll the dice just as much as they ever ever do. Yeah, I'm. I'm not saying that they're. They're. They've given up. I just don't. I don't think they have enough. I mean, I. I just think they okay. just look spent, and they don't have. Yeah, they. They need Kevin Durant, and even if he comes back on Monday night, he hasn't played in a month. I mean, and, yeah. and do we even know if he's how healthy he's even going to be? That um, still kills me. I'm still me. not totally convinced they they were honest about his the extent of his injury. Oh, I know. Oh, that was <laughs> that was the worst. Yeah. None of the people that that I am close to in chat. That's mainly the Denver Stiffs. Um, but you know, some other people. Nobody believed that report that they that they made afterwards. Every everybody no. knew it was either extremely serious or or still serious. Um, <laughs> you can tell this from his reaction on the court. Like you yeah. don't turn around and think somebody kicked you in the in the calf if something hasn't gone wrong back yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, um, no, it, it wasn't just still, like a a pull. You, you just talking about the lack of KD on this team just made me um, really, really kind of miss that we weren't able to see the Nuggets go up against them. And granted, that's no way. That's no way you want to see your team succeed. Is to go up against a, a KD less uh, Nuggets team or sorry Warriors team, but it, <laughs> I still want to see it. I still want to see how it would have played out. It's so frustrating because Portland just completely didn't even show up in the series against yeah. Golden State. I think they got by the Nuggets and that was their victory, and they never even had a shot in that series. Um, I, I I do not think the Nuggets. Uh, would have rolled over like that against Golden right. State. Um, I think Jokic would have just been an absolute n- matchup nightmare for them, as he is for most teams. But um, I-, I think they would have gotten at least two in that series, and we would have, and and it really would have helped the Nuggets to grow even further. I mean, a Western Conference f- Finals in their first playoff appearance with Jokic putting up the kind of numbers that he's yeah. been putting up. I'm s- I'm still hesitant from that perspective because I think that they have. Um, they have they have a hard enough demand as it is right now just to make it back to the second round next season. That's going to be a big accomplishment. That's what I think are is also like the target is to make it to the second round. Um, for them to have made it to the third round to the Western Conference Finals, and, and let's say something crazy and and then they win it and then lose to Toronto or something like that. That. That's it's scary what it does to expectations of the fan base, of national media, of our own players. Um, you, you know, we're we're not good enough this season to to be the best team in the NBA. I I strongly feel that way, and 
And if we think that we are, and if we came out of this postseason thinking that we could be, um, I think that's, it's really scary what happens on the other side of that door once you walk through it. So no, um, that is, that's a really good point. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine. I'm with, I'm happy with what happened with, with our postseason. Um, but still just, still just wish I could have in an alternate reality seen, seen us play, uh, the, the Warriors, uh, instead of Portland. That's definitely a good point. And it also kind of dovetails into something we'll be talking about in the second part of this episode when we get into what they should do in this offseason. But I, I'm really concerned about the Nuggets just standing pat and being like, well, we got a bunch of young players. We're just going to like do another year of growth for them. I, I think I think they, they've got to be aggressive. There are too many big, big time free agents that are available <laughs> and too many, too many pieces that can be moved around right now that I like. It, we don't know at all what the Western Conference is going to look like next year. I mean, what right. if some of these guys come? What if Kawhi, Kyrie, Kemba? What if they all come west? Uh-huh. What if KD stays in the? What if Butler? What, what if KD stays in the West? Like we have no clue where how this is all going to shake down. And if the Nuggets just stand pat and just say, "Well, next year Jamal Murray is going to be slightly better than he was this year." Um, and Jokic is maybe going to be a little bit better, although I'm not, uh, he already has been fantastic. So I'm not sure how much more we can get out of him. Um, and we just hope for like Michael Porter Jr. to, to, to be a nice surprise as a rookie. I I think we are in a kind of a, a, I mean, you know, they, they could, they could play again like they did this year and, and, and surprise everyone. Um, but I, I could see it going in the other direction too, or we we go back to being just kind of a borderline playoff team, and that's that worries me. And ladies and gentlemen, that finishes our sneak peek of part two of our episode. <laughs> so dial back in to catch the rest of that. And yes, Nick, that is a passive aggressive attack at you. All right, let's go back to the season. Um, talk about. What what we saw, I want to start, the first thing I'd like to discuss actually is just, what's the biggest thing we learned about the Nuggets this year? I mean, I think going into this year, you know, our, our, our first few episodes that we did, the very beginning of this podcast, we were focused a lot on who, who this team is. Like what, what, what do we, what do we know about this team? Are they fool's gold? Um, this is the, the year where we're going to learn about what we have on this team. We definitely learned a lot about this team this year. What what's the biggest thing for you that you took away? That the talent is real. Um, as Nuggets fans, we've been uh, we've been feeding ourselves the 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 hope of potential here, and we've felt like this is a good team, and we felt like these are good players, um, but we haven't been able to achieve anything to show that they actually are, and. And so just to sum everything up, I mean, there's several different storylines you could you could run off in um, all significant points, all real points. But just to sum it all up is that the talent's real. We no longer have to say it's potential. It's it's real. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to see it develop further. What about you? Yeah. I, yeah. I, same thing. I'll just I'll I'll narrow it down to a bit more of a fine point. And I'll say that uh, the, I learned that Jokic is a superstar and that you can win yeah. a championship with him as your best player. Ooh. And I, I don't think I knew that going into this season. Yeah, I'm not saying they don't need anything else. Obviously, they do. He can't, he can't go like LeBron James and just carry a team on his own. But um, but I, I, Jokic was first team All-NBA this year, so he was voted as the number one center in all of the NBA. 
he is without question a top 10 player in the league. Um, in the playoffs, a lot of the analytics said that he had either the best or second best uh, playoff run of any player in the playoffs. If you look at his numbers, I mean, they're 25, 13, eight and a half. Uh, he only had two and a half uh, turnovers a game, uh, which for the amount of usage that he was getting is unbelievable. Like uh, he, there was a stretch in that Portland series, I think where he went like six quarters without a turnover and he's touching the ball every single play mm-hmm. <laughs> practically. Yeah. Um, so the, the level of efficiency, his shooting was off the charts. He shot better than Steph Curry in the playoffs, better than Kawhi Leonard, better than James Harden um, from three. It's just, he's just, he has an, really unparalleled skill set at the center position. And the, the other thing that really just has me super excited. And we really saw this, the beginnings of this start to play out in the playoffs is that he just is such a unique talent that other teams don't really have a great way of, of, of preparing for it. They're not seeing this from other, other teams. They don't, you know, other teams aren't running the offense through their center, their point center, who's a top, you know, two or three passer in all of basketball. Right. So it really gives them a, a leg up. Now in a seven game series, then what it become, you know, you, uh, teams do have time to kind of figure that out and adjust. Um, but even still, we didn't see anybody come close to shutting down yoga. He had great games all the way through. It wasn't like in game seven, he was a non-factor because they had finally figured him out in this first series of the Portland series. It wasn't like that. But what, what does become really important is, Guys hitting shots, um, right? And that's that's what that I was gonna ended say up too. being their Achilles' heel through the entire playoffs. But but regardless, we, what we know is that Jokic can get his teammates open shots. So if we put the right guys around him, um, many of whom we already have, I think, uh, then I, I really truly believe this is a championship caliber caliber player that we have, and that's really what we've been searching for forever. I mean, even really was at the height of the Mellow era. Was Mellow even really a championship? Superstar. I'm not sure. Um, they they got pretty close to the to the finals um, one year with when Chauncey came, but uh, I, I'm not sure that I'm even convinced that Mello was ever going to win a championship um, if things broke right for him. So this might That's be the first question. time we've had this since I've been a Nuggets fan. You know, I I really bought into the Nuggets when Mello came and. There was a lot of fun years there and a lot of hope. It's it's interesting for all of the people buying in now to the Nuggets, um, especially with the influx that we've seen in Colorado and specifically Denver over the past you know five to seven years. Um, <laughs> the two eras and and which one you maybe would have preferred to have bought in on. You know that this one's still being written. We already know what the end of the Mellow story is, but. Uh, I, I cherish those years as much as we fell short. I, I really cherish them. But just seeing these two eras match up against each other, um, you know, you, 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 there's no way that people like you and I, um, who've been around this team for a while, and there's plenty of people who've been around a lot longer. Um, you know, the stories of David Thompson and things like that are, are really cool to to hear and and read about. But um, that's that's an era I had nothing to do with. But um, but the people buying in now, it's got to be just something completely unique and exhilarating, and you got to feel like the sky's the limit. So it, it, interesting to compare that against the, the Mellow era for sure. But you talking about Jokic, I think, is actually bringing us right into our first uh, fill-in-the-blank segment. 
Fill in the blank. All right, Jeremy, fill in the blank. This is our season awards edition. Fill in the blank. Who was the Nuggets MVP not named Jokic? It's a really good question. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go with Murray here because it, it comes down to, I think, wh- where you want to place your value. Are we going to value uh, what's real? Like, are we going to get into the statistical math of this? Um, it, I'm going to choose the symbolic. To me, Murray's season was the symbolic success. We, As far as we already knew what Jokic was to us, but what Jamal Murray, and specifically I mean the playoffs, his kind of rise to, you know, first setting up the two-man game back in December with Jokic where it was, it was fine success, uh, and then solidifying it in the playoffs. That to me is, is what you're able to hang a championship on. And, and it's purely symbolic. You know, I'm not going to get into the data here. It's just something that that you hold up in regard at this point, you say, we have Jokic and Murray, and when those two are on, there's there's no stopping it. And even when they're off, that's a really high floor at this point. I, I think more than anything, we saw the floor maybe rise for this team more than we saw the, the ceiling rise, which is an interesting idea to think about. Because, you know, a lot of teams have have two-hit combos, even Portland, who beat us. Again, I like I, I don't even I don't know if I my, I spiritually accept that defeat. I still <laughs> feel like we're so much better than them. And their one two punches, you know, McCollum and and uh Dame. And to me, that's not a good one two punch. Um but but Well, they're both individually Jokic, really great, but it I I like it seems very small guard heavy to be effective right. in the playoffs, but right. So so just to sum it up, there, there's the symbolic success story of this season to me is is the combo of Jokic and Murray. And if if that's what I'm putting value into, then I have to say my MVP not named Jokic is named Jamal Murray. Yeah, I think that's the logical choice. I'm I'm gonna throw out a different name um just for the sake of parody. Um and go with Gary Harris. And the reason is that Primarily, I felt like Gary Harris's defense in the playoffs yeah. ended up being maybe the second most important thing besides Jokic's play. Um, and they really needed that from him. And I think that's my one thing about Murray. So I totally agree with everything you just said about Murray. And Murray is their second best player just in, in terms of pure talent and probably in importance to the team. And he's obviously a, a guy who can can really be an elite scorer in this league as he continues to develop. And Gary Harris isn't really that guy, but I just feel like the nuggets play so much better when Gary Harris is playing and when he's playing well and when he's playing good defense, like I just, I I feel like there's, and again, you said about not looking into the numbers with Murray. I kind of feel like that about Harris. Like there's games you could look at where he, you know, had 11 points or something and it's just not indicative of what he does for the team. Um, for the, the the ball movement, um, for the the attitude that he brings, um, for the defense that he he brings, and it really, I mean, the, you know, he really is the one that changed that Spurs series uh, with his his defense on. Uh, oh yeah, Derek White. Yeah, his his defense in both. Um, they series, lose that series probably. That might be the and, best yeah. defense I've seen in a Nuggets jersey. Those fourteen games, I, I 
it was it was jaw dropping to me. I I have never appreciated defense one man defense as much as I appreciated that. Yeah, and he still seems to know how to work with with Jokic the best on back cuts and and to kind of play off him. Now, obviously, the Murray Jokic um, two man game became just a total staple of the offense, and they really started clicking there. But um, I still feel like there's some some improvement um, to be made with with the, the two man game. And really, I'm, I guess I mean more like off the ball stuff. I just really like how how Harris moves without the ball, and um, he seems to get a lot of wide open layups from <laughs> off Jokic passes that I don't know why Murray Murray doesn't get. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just there's something there's something about him that I just feel like is really at the core of the kind of heart and soul of this team. Y- you know, maybe Murray's scoring could have been replaced by somebody else, but I'm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even want to go down that road. I'm not. I, I don't really. It's not really about anybody being better or worse. It's just. It, it, I, I just. I really thought he was vital to the to the to their turn toward being a winning playoff team. Yeah. And not just a good regular season team. All right, fill in the blank. Am I making up my own my own question? <laughs> <laughs> it just says bench MVP. I had to come up with a phrasing. Fill in the blank. Uh, <laughs> blank is the Nuggets bench MVP. So there are some actual options here. Um, especially in the regular season, the bench was spectacular. Uh, I think we saw some of the bench's limitations come out in the playoffs more. Um, I'm going to go with Malik Beasley as the bench MVP. Um, and that's largely because I thought he was their best bench player in the playoffs. So I, I think maybe if we were only looking at the regular season, I might go with Monte. Um, I, I really appreciated his step into that second um, point guard role, which we had been lacking and, and we, we really desperately needed. And he really is the nuggets only like true point guard. And, and he really excelled at that role in the regular season. He did struggle a lot in the playoffs, though, and his shot totally abandoned him. And Beasley was really big in a number of the Spurs games in particular. Um, he also struggled in the Portland series. But um, I think I think overall Beasley was was the best bench player. And his his three point shooting, if he can if he can continue to uh, to grow uh, the rest of his game and can continue to shoot over forty percent from three. Uh, he's going to be a really valuable player on this team and could be starting at some point um, uh, for us or for somebody else, fortunately. But um, he's I, I think he really showed that he's got the kind of shooting that this team desperately, desperately needs if he can translate it into the into the playoffs. So let me start off with why I, I'm not picking Beasley as bench MVP. Um I thought I thought Beasley really shined came to when he w- was starting when Gary Harris came out and when I look back <clears throat> on the stats when I look back on the stats I I see great performances out of Beasley with that starting unit um it, and that's that's what has me most excited about Beasley is is his combination with them as opposed to what he brings necessarily off the bench um I'm a Gary Harris fan too. It's it's a crazy situation to have both of these guys. I'm not saying get rid of Harris and put Beasley in there, but I'm just saying um, I fell in love with a Beasley who was a starter this this season. Um, now my bench MVP I am giving to Monte Morris. Um, 
we saw mm-hmm. we saw what I think was easily a top five bench um, throughout the regular season. We saw Plumley completely dominate. <laughs> he was so awesome during the regular season. Him and Morris really shot up together. And it, it's kind of whenever two players uh, have that much mutual success, it's it's so symbiotic. It's kind of like, well, which one's the chicken and wh- wh- which one's the egg? But I'm just going to go ahead and give it all to Morris. I think I think Morris was the key to unlock the success that Plumlee had on the bench and uh, the ability to to run a unit of shooters and uh, and effort guys. And I think the the real question mark there is is um, for Morris is how much he kind of loses his uh, his ability to to be an effective playmaker when there's another playmaker next to him. I think I think that was the problem with Isaiah Thomas um, going out there, and I think that was the problem in the playoffs. I think I think it had less. Well, I hope it had less to do with Morris just being scared of the playoffs and, and the spotlight, and more of. Um, having Barton sent down to him to to play in his unit, and we'll see going forward. Again, that's that's another one of these like Pandora's boxes that we don't want to open right now. But um, but definitely, I'm giving Morris my my bench MVP, and and couldn't be more excited to uh, see him and Plumlee back next season. Yeah, awesome. Um, I think yeah, Plumlee was great in the regular season. He was a train wreck in the playoffs, and that's. Something that is concerning to me. I, I hope he's not a, a, one of these guys that just is a, is a regular season performer only. I, I hate to say it, but I, I really do think it's one decision, and it's it's Barton. I, I, th- I think that completely changed everything. Um, I'm not going to say 100% of it. I'm not going to say that ex- we would get 100% of what we had in the regular season out of the bench if Barton wasn't in the bench, but I, I think we get the majority of it. Um I, I think the second that's really damning Morris, for Barton then because you're I mean you're really saying that well it's damning for Barton Morris. was wrecking the starters and then he got moved to the bench and then he wrecked the bench I mean that's mm, <laughs> well, I mean it's Barton's bad Mor- Morris wrecked the bench and that's because he can't play next to Barton so so I'm I okay I think Morris does d- deserve the blame there but it's one of the situations where I say. You know, it's it's like if you're in some company and you've got like a salesman and he's your best salesman, but he's he's a jerk and and he's being unfair against somebody else. And you're like, well, sorry, somebody else. I know this is not fair, but he's our best salesman, so we're we're gonna keep going with him. That's what I think with Morse's inability to play with another playmaker is yes, that it's Morse's problem, um, but he's just so good and, and plays so well with the rest of the, the bench unit, um, mainly, mainly Plumley between the two of them and then, you know, fill in shooters and, and effort guys between them that you just say, well, sorry. That's what I, it, it's something I've thought a lot about. I think Barton, the best place to hide Barton is in the starting lineup. It, it's a, kind of an interesting idea to me. Um, cause starters are, are, you know, the, the, where the, you get all the prestige and everything, but, um, I think Barton actually does the least damage there. Again, we'll get into that later on, but um, but I, I think Plumley, yeah, Plumley might have been our worst player on our entire team in the playoffs, and Monte Morris wasn't far from that. And uh, and still, I give Monte Morris the bench MVP because I think there's a very specific reason why they train wrecked in the playoffs and why they had such a strong 82 games before that. 
Yeah, fair enough. All right, who do you have as your most improved player? So you, <laughs> I'm stealing your bench MVP. Uh, Beasley, to me, shot up mm-hmm. so far. Uh, uh, more than he, he shot up as far as my very highest. If you would have asked me what my very highest expectation was when we drafted this uh, athletic sharpshooter who was seriously injured, um, this this would have been my very highest imagined. Like if you gave me a piece of paper and a bunch of crayons and I got to draw whatever I wanted on it, he actually nailed it. And and so I I'm I'm blown away by it and very curious to see how things shake out from here. But um, whereas I was expecting Jamal Murray or, or hoping he'd be the guy we could all say this season was the uh, most improved player. Um, his his progression wasn't as linear and obvious as that of of Beasley. What about you? Yeah, I have Beasley also. Um, you could I mean you could make an argument for Monte also, but he wasn't on the team last year, so we I I, I think Beasley is the he's the player who we we actually saw grow on the on the the about to say the major league squad on the the big team. Um, right. <laughs> on the actual team uh and his and so i think for that reason his growth seems so much more obvious and meteoric because we nobody had really seen what monte could do and we basically just heard that monte had, was playing really well in g league and and tore it up and they were excited about him and then he came up and he played well so it was kind of like i, I don't know how much he improved he just he just sort of worked his way onto the team um whereas beasley i think really really shot up even even from the like the beginning of the season i mean i think we saw him grow through the course of the season to becoming you know an an elite sharpshooter which was not something i saw coming all right um blank had the best performance of the regular season okay i am gonna go with Jokic's perfect triple double against the suns um i think that was fairly early in the season i want to say it was like december or something um, but he went something like 35 and 11 and 11 or something and was like 11 for 11 from the field or whatever. I don't know. He was perfect from the field. Yeah. Um, I just thought that was, it was just so, what such a, a unique performance to have a game like that. I, I remember watching the game too. Like it just seemed like a, it seemed like when an adult plays with like little kids, you know, and they're like just kind of playing it like half speed and they can just sort of score at will. Like, <laughs> it was like it was just like the easiest, like the easiest stats I've ever seen anyone put up. Um, he probably could have had 60 in that game if he was like Kobe Bryant or, so, you know, actually cared and like took took that many shots. Um, <laughs> but uh, I to me, that was really something where like I, I was like, OK, we, we you know, I knew Jokic was special. I didn't know the extent to how special he was. And that game came kind of, you know, early in the season and, and before they, you know, they started dealing with a ton of injuries, but they had a couple injuries already at that point. And it was like, okay, this guy's like a legit, like superstar. And, and he continued on uh, with that. It kind of set the pace for all of the rest of the triple doubles. They ended up having through the, through the season and then almost averaging a triple double in the playoffs. I mean, we saw him just really become like, a, a triple double machine, uh, maybe you know, only compare uh, matched by you know people like LeBron or, or Russell Westbrook. So, um, that one that one stands out to me. Yeah. What about you? 
uh, you've convinced me. <laughs> I wasn't expecting to agree <laughs> to to say that, but you're absolutely right. That's like that's it, when you think of rare games that a player is able to have, even in any sport. Uh, that's just that's got to be in the conversation. That was such a highly efficient game it just goes beyond it goes beyond statistics and just into genius there's that saying i think i don't know i don't know whether i wrote this in stiffs earlier on or, or said in our podcast but one of my favorite sayings is um talent is hitting a target nobody else can hit genius is hitting a target nobody else can see and and mm-hmm. that's that's when it goes beyond just oh he he had 100 percent you know, free throw shooting or, or when blah, 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 where you're just writing all these numbers out there and it just transcends it in, and it shuts your brain down <laughs> and your jaw drops and you just, you just take it in. And that's exactly what that performance was. Um, I'm still, I'm going to give since for the sake of parody, since you did that earlier, um, what I was expecting to say coming into this was Murray's, uh, was it 49 point now? Yeah, sure. Or, 48 point game 48 I think I, yeah, I wish we could have said 50 so annoying but uh, I know I know uh and again just continue with and for the with record the, I'm fine with him taking that last shot at the end of the oh, game yeah. by the way oh yeah um just and so was almost the rest of every single NBA player um yeah but, except for flat earth or Kyrie Irving right uh but so just continuing with the theme of like symbolism and, and what it means for our 21 year old stud to to do something like that against one of the best defensive teams in the NBA um, against an all-star point guard um, is just the, the symbolism of that to me is not like, again, it's something you can't quantize. It just, it stands up there on a symbolic throne and just shines means a whole lot. So throwing that out there for what it's worth. Um, all right, what was the best performance that we saw in the playoffs? So it was ugly, but incredible. And again, it's what it means more than the numbers. Uh, it, it's Jokic's, man, I need to know these numbers. You know, it was Jokic's 4,822 minute game right. that he played. Yep. Uh, in game three of the of the Blazer series, um, right, right, uh, and that was mine also. There were so many moments of that where you're saying like he's not playing good basketball right now, or he's deferring, or whatever. You could definitely criticize so many moments in any of those 16 overtimes, but it was it was the to me the death of the imagined. The media, national media, has this imagination that Jokic's physicality is uh is a huge huge um hams that's the wrong word to use in this situation uh not hamstringing <laughs> of him but uh i mean it literally that's, uh, that's it's a liability a phrase that's yeah. used in literature yeah um yeah and, and and to me that's just so much so much nonsense he is he is a he's healthy um and B, he's he's uh, he's got great endurance, obviously, as we were able to see, and and also the entire season proved that. And that was something I was hoping he would answer going into this season because in the past he has shown 
um, that endurance is a problem. But he showed that throughout this season before that ridiculous game in the, in the uh, against Portland ever showed up. Um, and then C, his his body, he uses his body as a tool. And, and if he were to trim his body down and put muscle on, I'm not so sure that he'd be able to use it the same way he does now. It it it's very potentially might either take away from his game or not do anything at all. So it, it's an actual his pudginess or whatever you want to call it is is a benefit to him. And as long as it's not slowing him down or or making him prone to injury, which we've seen muscly guys actually be more prone to injury when they get more muscly, uh, then then it's a tool. Then it's it's an imagination that needs to be destroyed. And that's what he did in that game. He destroyed the imagined that the media have of his physicality. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like that game, it was like watching a boxing match or something like one of those like epic, like Ollie Frazier fights or something or like or actually maybe even a better analogy is like like uh, in the Rocky movies when they're just like trading punches right. and you're you know it's like well this is clearly not how a real fight would go you can't withstand that many punches to your right. directly to your face but um <laughs> but uh in that game we kind of saw it it was just like one punch after another after another and I just at some at, like probably somewhere in the second overtime I was like Jokic is gonna drop dead on the court like <laughs> how is he still out there playing this long this is insane like, cause I mean, Malone kind of, I like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to say that he mis mismanaged him in that game. Cause I mean, obviously Malone didn't know it was going for overtimes, but he had left Jokic in, in that game, like almost the entire regular, right. uh, or, um, uh, fourth quarter. Uh, and so he, he already was leading the game in minutes before those four overtimes by quite a bit. And then, and then to play all four overtimes, I mean, he ended up with like 10 more minutes than Jamal Murray had. Right. Uh, so, y- yeah, I mean, if we you lo- we look at the playoff numbers, Jokic averaged 39.7. So pretty much right at 40 minutes a game, which is more than Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, a uh, little bit less than Paul George, more than Steph Curry, about the same, a little bit less than Damian Lillard, uh, significantly more than Giannis. Uh, he averaged five more minutes a game than Giannis, the f- you know, the Greek freak. The physical specimen everyone um, right. praises right. as being this That's a like anomaly point. of physicality, right? Jokic played five more minutes a game than him. So, um, and and really for the most part, his game really wasn't declining in the fourth quarter. Um, I, you know, I can maybe think of maybe t- like a game or two here or there where it seemed like maybe he was a, a bit fatigued in uh-huh. the fourth. Um, and then certainly that that Portland game. But even still, even a fatigued Jokic is still uh, that he's still. Uh, getting getting shots for for guys he's still collecting rebounds he's still you know a valuable contributor on the court and it, i i just think that whole yeah the whole narrative is is done now we don't need to talk about that anymore he also played every game with the exception of a, what a couple of uh or that one suspension um he didn't have any injuries this year Right. And on a team that where every it seemed yeah, like you know, exactly. they were plagued with injuries. Remember, that was the whole storyline of the first like half of the season was how injured this team was. They couldn't keep anybody on the court. Jokic was the consistent all the way through. He never pulled a hammy. He know, you know, any any kind of thing, you know, that could have all these core injuries that they had this year. Right. Um Jokic, you know, stayed unaffected by all of that stuff. So yeah, I think that to me was the that was the performance where it was like, okay, this we can count on this guy. 
for 48 minutes of playoff basketball to be at a top le- as a top level performer and that was a question mark coming in i think do, do you remember david boston wide receiver for the arizona cardinals yeah he was a freak yeah he was a freak he it, was like massive he was uh-huh. a tank he was a giant muscle he was yeah. 99% muscle he was uh, 101% muscle. He had negative body fat. Like if I was standing next to him, he would have like sucked fat off of my body. <laughs> and, 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 and talented too. And, and thought of as like the next coming mm-hmm. of the wide receiver position, a physical freak that could never be replicated, that will destroy every record that, that ever exists. And, and he just could not stay healthy. It was injury no. after injury after injury. It was a great lesson in the balance within a human body and and how it can be pushed too far. It can be too athletic to the point where it's not able to hold itself together. And and that's that is exactly the um, the lesson that none of national media is willing to to remember when they look at Nikola Jokic. And, and that's what's frustrating to me because he's the flip side of that coin. He, he's the other side where you can be not the ideal physical person, but actually be a plus in, in body. You're a plus in health. You're a plus in how you're able to use it. You're a plus in all these things that are physically uh, centered attributes, um, but uh, be soft. You can be soft skinned and you can be pudgy. Um, that, and, and so it's, it's time that, that, that really starts, um, getting more, more attention and we'll see what happens this next season. Uh, you're, you're hearing a lot in these playoffs, like P- national media finally giving him credit, it, but it all came with, but yes, but he needs to lose some mm-hmm. pounds. He needs to get in the gym. He needs to put on some muscle. Yes. But there's no, the only reason why you have a, but when you're talking about Jokic right now is if you're talking about him as the best player in the NBA. That's the only time that you could say yes, but if you're talking about a guy who right now is ranking probably around nine or 10 on most people's lists of best players, don't bring the butt up. Like, (laughs) you don't, there's no need to do it. Just say Jokic is this good. He does this and then leave it at that. Why do you always have to say nobody says, well, Steph Curry's could be the best player in the NBA, but he's too short. Like, no, like, Steph Curry's short and he's found ways of playing around that. Right. And he's amazing. He he's invented the 38 foot three pointer. Like nobody was doing that before Steph Curry started doing it, you know, just to create that extra space. He's like, I've got the range. I can step way further out than anyone else can um, just to create that extra space that I need because I'm so short. Right. Uh, I think Jokic is similar. It's like he's got a certain body type. Could he be more lean, more muscular if he really you know, focused on that and tried to kill it. Yeah, I guess he could, but I mean, to what advantage? That's what I think you're getting at. Like what it might potentially just open him up for injury. And what would he gain from that? Cause we've, we've already seen a really, really great player. So, you know, how about, how about Jokic just uses the, the, the body and the skills that he has the best, the best way that he can, which is perfectly fine. I I really like the Steph Curry analysis because it, it, Steph Curry brought in an entirely new 
dynamic to the NBA. And, and that's what we're seeing Jokic do as well. And it's specifically because of their quote unquote weakness that everybody wants to criticize that has uh, forced them to develop a style of play that the NBA hasn't seen before. So happy to right. to keep that going and happy to disregard at any time that somebody has a criticism that in reality is a terrible criticism to take. Now, for some reason, a basketball haiku by Nicholas Herzog. Welcome to Cowtown. Some great beer, healthy vibes, and a championship core. We have another segment here for the record. Uh, I should probably do a little bit more research on this before we go into it. I have a terrible memory, but let's just, I guess, bulldoze our way in and see see what we get. So we're holding ourselves to account here. Um, we have a podcast where we spout many, many opinions. It's basically all we do is just give opinions. Um, and many of them were wrong this year. Many of them were also right, actually. But we want to hold ourselves to account a little bit. I'll give ourselves some evaluation um, and discuss what our best and worst predictions were from the season and kind of uh, just, it's kind of fun just to look back on, on what we kind of thought as we were going through and then to see how things actually played out. Um, so for best predictions, I'll start with one for both of us, Jeremy, we both had the nuggets being good this year. <laughs> we both thought good. that they would win over 50 games. Yeah, we thought at the beginning of the season, um, I had them at 51 wins. You had them at 50 wins. They ended up winning 55. Uh, so they even exceeded our expectations by a few, but we were close there. Um, you know, recall at the beginning of the season, the national majority of the national pundits had the Nuggets out of the playoffs or maybe squeaking into the eighth spot. Uh, nobody had them as a second seed, including us. But we did talk about them being in the 4-5 seed range. Right. Um, which ended up being much closer to where they actually finished. So we did see this coming, um, that the Nuggets were going to take a leap forward, which was the name of our first our first episode, if you recall. Um, we predicted that, that this would be the Nuggets' leap year. Uh, and and it, it absolutely was, and it, and it actually exceeded our expectations, I think, so... Kudos to us for one good yeah. prediction. A- another best prediction that you just remind me of by going back that far is the Lakers, the Fakers. <laughs> um, I, I, I had them, I believe, at eight, uh, just making the playoffs. And, and so I don't know if I can take credit for this because they did not make the playoffs. So maybe this is a bad prediction because it didn't come true. But I, I think everybody gets the spirit behind what I'm saying here. And and what I remember specifically was I was saying if you are a Lakers fan, like a real fan who understands the team, understands the sport, not just a person who buys their gear and walks around town in it, that uh, if the Lakers even make the playoffs, you're going to be breathing a sigh of relief. And and I think that spirit definitely holds true. Um, they they could they you know if LeBron was healthy, they definitely. Could have fought for that eighth seed, but um, man, it was so great to watch that ship sink. And and I'm n- never been more interested than over the next few weeks to see what happens with uh, what they're able to do to maybe try and save the ship from sinking further. I know I have I, <laughs> I have a hard time 
seeing the Lakers becoming a like a serious contender, no matter what they do. Honestly, um, short of bringing AD in, but even to bring in AD, they're gonna have to trade away their entire team. I mean, I, I don't know. I just don't. I, I don't see it, and I, I just think LeBron, LeBron can't do this on his own. We've seen that he's starting to become human. He's breaking down a little bit, um, and he needs. He needs a quality team around him in the West. Um, he's not gonna. He's not gonna get through just on his own willpower anymore. And I, I don't know how they can put enough pieces together to compete with. Especially, well, we'll just have to see how things play out, and that gets into our next episode. But, um, but yeah, I, I think it was not a pot. I mean, there were there were national pundits saying that the Lakers were going to finish second in the West. Um, like notable people were saying that and yeah. everybody was kind of saying middle middle seed for the Lakers. I, I don't remember ever hearing uh, anyone predicting that the Lakers weren't going to make the playoffs. It just seemed unthinkable that a LeBron James team wouldn't make the playoffs. And that was something we brought up in our first episode. We 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 raised the question, are we really sure that the Lakers are a playoff team? And, and both you and I were both pretty skeptical of that. I mean, I think I had him at seven or eight, too. So I. I did kind of assume that LeBron would be able to do enough just to eke him into the playoffs, but we were both really skeptical of them being any good, you know, or being any any kind of contender this year. And so I think the spirit of that was right. Um, I had another uh, pretty good prediction. Uh, I we talked a couple like a month or something before the playoffs started about Will Barton, and you know I was down on been down on right. Will Barton. Um, forever. And I, I kind of went through this whole thing about how I had, I had gone back and looked at, at how Barton had been playing over the last few months and that he, he really struggles against good competition, right? That's where you really start to see the, the chinks in his armor, whatever the flaws in his game. Um, and we went through some of that and I, I said, you know, I'm really worried that this is what we're going to see in the playoffs is we're going to see a horrible Will Barton because he doesn't play well against good teams. And when the competition gets better and I think that pretty much panned out. Um, to the T, I think, you know, obviously ended up, he ended up playing so bad that he got benched. Um, he really, you know, he had one game really, you could say that he was a factor. That was that, that four overtime game, but you know, that's a, there were some weird circumstances in that game. He's playing, you know, he had way less minutes than the majority of the people on the floor and he ended up taking advantage of that and, and hitting a couple of big shots in a couple of the overtimes. He also had some huge turnovers in the fourth quarter that led to them being there in the first place. But um, anyway, I think I'll, I'll take that. One. I'll notch that one as a win for me. Yeah, I remember that one because I was I was uh, contrary to you and kind of defending Barton. But then when you clarified that it was more had to do with him against uh, uh, tough competition as opposed to just, just him generally, I, I remember um, – wanting to pay more attention, opening up to that idea, like, oh, okay, yeah, that is interesting. I guess we have to pay more attention. And and sure enough, that proved to me, I think, uh, very true. You know, we'll say necessarily 100% true. It's a small sample size going up against uh, seven games in San Antonio and seven games against Portland, but um, but very true. I, I, I will lean into that and give you credit for it. Um, well Thank done. you. Yeah, well done. Thank you. Um, so time um, to fess up. No, I'll, well, let me just, yeah, I'll fess up to my, to my, uh, my worst one is probably worse than any of my good ones, which was <laughs> predicting it starting in the playoff. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right. So 
The logic was sound, and it was that no. the Nuggets are going to need a veteran. Yeah, here's the logic. Here's the logic. The veterans needed a veteran presence in the playoffs, and they did. I mean, it turned out that they did. They needed somebody who could, like, step up and hit big shots and stuff uh, when everybody gets clammed up. And they never got that, which is why they ended up losing to Portland. Um, I just wrongly assumed that IT could fill that role, which he was not oh, able to man. do because he couldn't even he wasn't even playing well enough to yeah. get on the court. Yeah. Um, the and I, I, of- I did not see him. I did not see him playing on the bench with Monte. That's we talked about that. You can't you can't play Monte and IT together. So the way my train of thought went was, well, if they're going to need some, you know, veteran leadership and some production from somebody, IT could provide that. The only way he can provide that is with the starters. So <sighs> you're making that's where, so that's many where the, hops. the line of thinking went. But you're taking so yeah, many hops didn't work. to get to that point. It was crazy. Absolutely crazy. Well, no, here's the here's the thing. Well, the, the, the big hop that I took and this is kind of an important one is that IT had to actually be able to play. And he, he he couldn't. Yeah. So uh, I kind of let I kind of skipped over that kind of uh, vital bit of information <laughs> that you know in order to start you have to actually be able to play basketball. Yeah. All right. I I don't know. Yeah. I don't even like you defending that. I think the version of Nick that everybody likes is the one who uh, points out that bad prediction and laughs at himself and moves on. Sound logic. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, <laughs> no, no, I'm saying I, no, no, it wasn't sound. Did I say it was sound logic? I didn't yeah. mean it that way. What I meant was <laughs> there was an actual thought process to it. I wasn't just shooting from the hip, right. but the thought process was All not right. sound. Well, I mean, I know that I had worse ones than what I can think of, uh, which is why you get more credit because you're 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 taking in a, a more humbling moment here than I can think of for myself. <laughs> um I remember at the start of the season, I was starting to bail on Millsap's offense, and uh, he kind of righted the ship there. Not that he's a powerhouse in any way, but uh, he was really bad to start the season. And I want to say it was like seven games in. I don't think we made it to 10 games yet. Granted, these are all like wins, but um, I, I think I was really bailing on him that he his offense is broken forever. Um, there's that. There was another one that I was thinking of. Oh, Jamal Murray. I I, I thought uh, Jamal Murray was going to average 20 points, and I even doubled down on it in what was that, like January? Um, yeah. And, and we definitely saw that potential in the playoffs. Like, that really came. If I may offer some yeah, sound Yeah, he did logic. end up averaging 21 uh, in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, but, but I still definitely fell short on that for the overall season. Um, I, my worst prediction, I think doesn't even involve the nuggets and that's why it might be less of a, you know, um, an easier one for me to cough up because it's less important, but I thought that Brooklyn would be the worst team in the NBA and they were, they were awesome. (laughs) They were really good. Yeah. (laughs) And, and I had them as the worst team in the NBA. So I, I learned a hard lesson there and that's even with losing Paris Levert. Uh, for half the season or over half the season. Yeah. No, they were, they were one of the major surprises this year. I think, um, they were really fun. I actually had Sacramento being competitive, which you guys laughed at. They, they did end up being, uh, right right. until pretty much the end. They were only a couple games out of the playoffs in the end, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I think they have a really bright future. Yeah, they Um, do. They're, they're definitely on the rise. I think they're going to be in it next year. As long as they don't screw it up season. 
they have a history yeah, right. of not Which only they, their players screwing it up, but their management screwing up screwing it up as well. So it'd be nice to see. Well, and they're like, yeah, they're the worst drafting team in like the history of basketball. Probably them in, in Phoenix. Yeah, so. that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> Phoenix is still in mm-hmm. that boat. I think. <laughs> All right, and we should note that. Um, our long lost friend lad who has completely abandoned this podcast. Uh, <laughs> all of his predictions were terrible. Literally every everything he ever said was awful. He said Jokic was just a glorified Pau Gasol. Um, he said that the Nuggets wouldn't make the playoffs, a bet that he still has not owned up to yet um, because he owes me a nice dinner at Radizio because of that <laughs> terrible take. Yeah, I, um, and pretty much through the what you guys don't get from Lad that Jeremy and I are privileged to get is a text from him during every single game telling us that they're terrible and garbage and that they need to break up the entire team. Uh, we got that all year long, including I think even in the playoffs, maybe at some point. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> One thing I can say though is um, with as much social Denver Nuggets social media as I soak in. Um, I think that Lad is a really important voice. I think media on the whole, even though there there's are different groups, whether it's you know Denver Stiffs is bloggers and Denver Posts and you know all these different groups. I think there's still a little bit of concentration of thought in there, and um, and so for a lot of the fans who have, I would say a more uh more liberal thoughts and takes on what the Nuggets should be doing, what they're seeing from them. Um, they don't really get that from their media sources because because the media, like I said, is kind of a lot closer together. Um, and, and Lad is exactly the guy you want to bring in for some wild Nuggets fans to be able to uh, identify with. So, Lad, I, I miss you. Come back on. I know you're not even listening to this, but you're going to be texting yeah. me later about how bad the Nuggets are. And then after that, about how good they are and back and forth <laughs> and let's get you back on. I know. I think I think like it's all passion with him and, and there's a certain segment. It reminds me a lot of like East Coast fans, like New York and Philly fans and True. stuff like that, where it's just like the passion just like bubbles out uh, moment by moment. Um, and that's, you know, it. It's fun. Actually, it's a fun way to watch sports. I kind of wish I was like, I think I've, I've gotten more kind of cerebral as I watch sports as I've gotten older. Um, I think I'm still more emotional than you are when I watch sports, but it's fringe. Um, Did you watch fringe? No, oh, I need man. to though. It's on my list. Oh I man. Know. The concept just to break it down real quick is as mankind evolves and gets smarter and more capable, they lose their emotions along the way. And you get to a certain point where you have to ask yourself, is it worth it or not? Same thing with uh, being a Nuggets fan. What's the right balance of of emotion to make you enjoy things, but then uh, just conservative thinking to keep you from feeling all the pain of Nug life? Right. (laughs) And it it was kind of a weird experience this year doing a podcast because, it you know, a lot of our texting during games or, you know, just when we've, we've talked about the nuggets at a bar or whatever, um, that does tend to be more emotion and it is more just kind of shooting from the hip. Once we started in the podcast, 
you know, we started doing a little bit more more research. Um, you know, this isn't a numbers show, but I mean, we try to uh, do some some research to back up our opinions. We don't want to sound like complete idiots all the time. Um, and and when you start doing research, it does it does start changing your view of things. You know, we started listening to new voices. Um, I got. Uh, active on Twitter over the last year for the first time, really. And so I was exposed to a lot of different takes uh, through Twitter um, from the the Nuggets um, Twitter sphere. And, and you know, like, for example, I didn't know that Will Barton was so popular among a lot of Nuggets fans until I got on Twitter. Like, I, I, I thought it was kind of universally understood that he was terrible. And that was not the case there. He has, like, some big fans. Uh, he has big fans of among, amongst the Denver Stiffs, actually. So, um you know, so I had to kind of uh, at least at least take those those viewpoints into account, and then to kind of reevaluate my my position. Um, that's one where I haven't really changed my position, but there were things through the course of the year uh, where I did. I think I think had I not um, looked at analytics or or um, or considered like defensive numbers and metrics as closely as I did this year, that I would be a lot more down on Paul Millsap, for example. Uh-huh. Um, I think I was I was really of the camp coming into this show of like why are we paying this guy thirty million dollars to make you know to shoot three for nine from the field and get four rebounds yeah and I think I think through the course of the season looking at looking at the game a bit deeper has helped me to realize his his true value and we really saw that in the playoffs yeah we saw it in the playoffs and and we got fifty four wins out of it you know yep who who cares if you're a thirty five point per game dude what's your what's your team record and Millsap helps that team record I love Millsap yeah and actually that's the I think the one really one of the great things that's come out of advanced statistics is this idea that we just go with what works like what what are kind of what are the results not how does it look and that I think for so long in sports and this kind of gets back to our Jokic conversation too um, it was like uh, this, this happened in baseball a lot where, you know, scouts would, would talk about how a guy just like looked like a player, you know, like he's built like, like a, like a baseball player, you know, he's got a pretty swing, whatever. <laughs> and, you know, advanced metrics really, really showed that that stuff doesn't matter. Um, it really only matters, uh, how much you get on base and there's, doesn't really even matter how you get on base. Like a walk is just as good as a single basically. And, uh, home run is, you know, it's worth getting a home run, even if you strike out six times or something to get that home run. Um, it's kind of changed the nature of baseball. Um, and the same to some extent is happening in basketball with a three point shooting. Um, I mean, teams are shooting like, I, I want to say, I heard that the other day, Mark Price was talking about this. I think that, one year he led the league in three point attempts and he only had like five a game or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we have guys on our bench that are shooting five threes a game. Malik Beasley <laughs> averaged five and a half threes a game. Right. Right. Um, so the, the game is, has changed because of that. And I think uh, we're still seeing that evolution, but I think that's the really interesting thing coming out of advanced metrics. It's not that it, like um, that it, it totally undercuts what we thought about great players of the past or whatever, but it's, it's definitely in this era of basketball, it's changing the way the game's played and, and guys like Jokic are starting to be more, more appreciated where in the past, yeah, maybe, maybe they would have been just seen as like some big unathletic lumbering dude. I don't know. Yeah. 
but the analytics are really showing how valuable um, his game is. Well, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what the Nuggets management does with the analytics that they have right now. As we uh, right. we wrap this up and and we look forward to what the team does going into next season, the big offseason moves. I think it's safe to say that we're not going to have a uh, draft episode, seeing how the Nuggets don't have any draft picks right now. And even, even if they get one, it's we don't have any draft picks yet. Jeremy. Right, right, right. But it's not. I don't think they're going to be buying their way into you know a big first round pick or something like that. Yeah. So, um, but. We're going to have this next episode. All right, you're getting ahead. You're getting ahead. We got that in our next episode. We'll be back with you in a couple days. Thanks for listening.